then you have, for example, uh, JP Morgan Chase. So I think they're um, building, I think that they have actually built the tool. I think they, they, the tool is called uh, Index uh, GPT. And it's mm -hmm. basically uh, automating how uh, customers are making investments. So based on my, I mean, there is an algorithm based on my personal uh, history, experiences, uh, and mm. whatever, they mm -hmm. actually, uh, you know, investment is, is becoming automated. So mm -hmm. they're analyzing and selecting securities tailored to my customer needs. The platform model is, is becoming dominant. And if you see at the top 10 companies, uh, top, 10, top 10 finance companies globally employing a platform model today, versus let's say 10 or 15 years ago, that you're gonna see that uh, more than 50% now has a business that is built on platforms versus uh, versus then. So that's mm -hmm. indicative of the power of mm -hmm. these platforms. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk, we listen. <laughs> Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is no stranger to Heads Talk. Cultivated through his tenure in senior leadership roles, he brings valuable insights, skillfully integrating expertise spanning financial services and banking, fintech, payments, retail, e-commerce, and digital projects. A prominent figure in the financial services industry, he is widely recognized for his substantial contribution to various publications and media outlets. His expertise is highly sought after, as evident by frequent invitations to serve as a distinguished public speaker at events around the globe. A fabulous conversation awaits my listeners today on Heads Talk, but before we get into that, here's a brief message. Fintech Week London is a week-long celebration of London's innovative fintech scene from 10 until the 14th of June. Get your tickets now for our flagship conference on Thursday the 13th of June at the Park Plaza Victoria London. Join us and meet over 1,000 senior decision makers from the leading fintechs, banks, investment firms, regulatory bodies, insurers, and service providers. Get your tickets now on www.fintechweek.london. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Panagiotis Criaris is the Head of Business Development and the Commercial Director for UNZER. Having held pivotal roles across various European countries within renowned financial institutions, Panagiotis has been at the forefront of global open banking since its inception. His career has been dedicated to navigating the intricate relationships between financial institutions and the underlying technology that supports them. Throughout his journey, Panagiotis has cultivated an in-depth end-to-end -end understanding of the sector, demonstrating a clear awareness of the current challenges and opportunities within the industry. As we delve into the new series on Heads Talk, we're honoured to welcome him back. So without further ado, let's embark on a captivating, a consuming conversation with someone who truly embodies the intersection of finance and technology. Many thanks for being with us again, Panagiotis. Hi, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for all the, all the good words. Great to be back. Uh, well deserved, well deserved. Okay, um, great to have you back on the show, Panagiotis. Always appreciative of your insights and knowledge in this space. Let's start with a, a quick update. A summary of your role and perhaps a snippet of some of the, the recent events um, where you've made a considerable contribution. Yeah, um, I mean, to be honest, I think you, you describe it very well uh, at your intro. I mean, I'm trying to 
uh, to contribute to the, to the public debate when it comes to finance, when it comes to fintech, to banking. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, as you have uh, pointed out, I am, um, you know, invited uh, quite often to yes. present my views. Um, so to be honest, I will uh, probably um, not do justice if I just uh, pick out a couple of events or a couple of occasions where I had the opportunity to, to do so. Uh, mm -hmm. So I will uh, uh, just uh, stick to the fact that I'm always trying to contribute to the to the debate. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you might not always agree with me, but uh, most of the times I have a, a strong view on, uh, on, on things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, that's probably a, a good start for today's discussion, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're going to expand on perhaps some of the, the conversations that you have had at events um, throughout this episode. So um, listeners, hold on, we're, we're going to talk some more about that. But now, now, we're going to um, go into the, the deep end of the conversation around finance and technology with a couple questions on instant payment, more so the globalization of it. How is this evolving? You know, what are the, the challenges and opportunities in achieving true Real globalization of instant payment system. In summary, I'm asking you, what is the truth around this? Mm. Very, very good question and a, a very timely topic and a very relevant topic because um, I think uh, if you look at what's happening around the globe uh, today, you're going to see lots of activity around instant payments. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody seems to be trying to launch their own uh, instant payments um, mm -hmm. system. We're going to talk about uh, what you mentioned before, which is very, very important, and which is the uh, interoperability element, so the cross-border element. But mm -hmm. before we get to this, I would like to maybe um, draw a bit the uh, the line around uh, what uh, instant payments are. Mm -hmm. Right. So we are basically talking about um, uh, debits, right? Instant and irrevocable debits, yeah, yeah. customer accounts. Uh, and the feature is that these are available 24 seven, uh, you have immediate confirmation and it's actually real time. So mm -hmm. the moment that you are sending something, the next second, the, the other person has, has received it. Now, uh, looking around the globe, I mean, we did have, for example, in the EU, uh, a few months ago, we had uh, an instant payments uh, regulation, which is coming into force uh, mm -hmm. this year. We had uh, Fed now in the US. We have uh, lots of activity. I mean, Brazil and India are the global front runners. Mm -hmm. So there is there are lots of things happening. But if we try to to take a step back and try to understand, okay, why are all these things happening? I think I find very very interesting uh, what was. Uh, I mean, there was. Uh, you don't find numbers very easily, but when you do, for example, there was a. Um, I think there was an estimate by the European Union, by the Commission, um, which was saying that uh, I think around 200 billion on a yearly basis are basically the money that you have in a free free float because uh, that because of the fact that you don't have instant payments, meaning that when you send out funds and these funds take, uh, I don't know, two days, three days to, uh, to come to the other side, you have this huge opportunity and at the same time, the, the huge cost and the efficiency that you have these funds kind of being idle and not being used. And this was only in Europe. I mean, this uh, I think this uh, this number is uh, indicative of the opportunity. So I think within the the course of everybody trying to tackle, uh, trying to go digital, try, trying to tackle the inefficiencies mm -hmm. of today's uh, finance system, I mean, instant payments are one of the main elements, uh, if you may. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we have to differentiate between what we are, let's say, doing in the in the developed world in the in, in the West and what has been going on on the on the so-called developing countries. And yeah. I mentioned before what has been happening in Brazil, what has been happening mm -hmm. in India. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think it's very very interesting if we try to understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I, I'm, gl I'm glad you've mentioned that because I think this is this is a real game changer for many countries and operatives um, within them. And you, you talked about the sort of uh, the developing countries. So can you highlight the real world impact of instant payment on financial inclusion for these countries and cross-border transactions? Once again, separating the reality from the hype. Mm -hmm. I think uh, to try to understand better what's happening, 
I think we have to differentiate between the reasons, as I said before, why these countries have been launching uh, mm -hmm. instant payments uh, schemes and, uh, for example, what's happening in Europe and, uh, and in other countries. So let's take, for example, India and, uh, and Brazil. India, mm -hmm. we have the so-called UPI, which is the Unified Payments Interface. I mean, they launched this in 2016. And in just seven years, I think they managed to become the most popular online payment method. I think they have uh, more than 300 million active users mm -hmm. and they do probably 10 billion transactions monthly. So if you if you uh, conceive the number, it's, it's, it's huge. On the other hand, Brazil, they launched the so-called PIX. I think this, uh, this was done in late uh, 2020. And after three years, I think they managed to reach 3 billion transactions um, on a monthly basis. Uh, again, mm -hmm. um, there are a few differences between the two, but I think what we have to keep in mind is that these countries, they are coming from a reality where they didn't have any infrastructure that was used before. So you are starting building something from scratch. Mm -hmm. It's much, much easier if you start building something from scratch other than, you know, Legacy issues. fix something which yeah. is already working. So that's mm -hmm. point number one. The second point is that these, I mean, and I'm mentioning Brazil and India because these are probably the most successful use cases we have nowadays. Mm -hmm. But these countries, they beyond the uh, inexistence of this legacy infrastructure, they have something else in common. They have huge populations, right? Not everyone has these luxuries, if we may call it right this. And uh, I think the combination of these two reasons mm -hmm. is the fact behind why the US and Europe are kind of behind this race, if you may. Uh, and of course, this country, they had a huge incentive in terms of, uh, as you said before, in terms of having a, a large uh, uh, segment of the population being a bank, ha mm -hmm. having no access mm -hmm. to the financial services. And they would uh, also like to bring these people uh, to get access to financial services. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, to reduce the, the use of cash, uh, the portion of the, of the black economy. So yeah. all these things are, um, le let's say, triggers for such, uh, um, for, for, such a, for such an instant payments uh, mm -hmm. um, setup, if you may. On the other hand, if you look at what's happening in Europe and in the US, we have different kinds of problems, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much, uh, how, how deep you want to go into this, but uh, I think that's... Uh, yeah, the I, I just, yeah. Between the two. Europe has different problems. I mean, uh, for example, uh, the uh, one of the things, I mean, in Europe, we do have the so-called uh, instant uh, payments since a, few, since a few years now, but it has not taken off. So mm. I think the, in Europe, what we had was, uh, I think it was, uh, we have the so-called SEPA um, instant uh, credit transfer. So mm -hmm. basically it's a, it's a credit transfer, which is instant. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that uh, this has not, as I said, it didn't take off. I mean, we had, uh, I think it was at 15% of the total. Mm -hmm. That's why the European... Well, community... Why do you think that is, Panagiotis? Why do you think it's not taken off in the way it's taken off in Brazil and India? I think it has because to do with legacies? I think the, the, historically, I think we have two challenges. One mm. has to do with the cost, and the other one has to do with the coverage. So if you look at the, the various, let's say, countries and how they deal with this, Mm -hmm. Banks, they might be charging customers extra fees for the instant credit transfers. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be any uh, amount from, I don't know, one euro, two euros to maybe even some cases, I don't know, mm -hmm. 12 euros, mm -hmm. 15 euros. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. one. And the other one has to do with the coverage, meaning that what the, you know, how many banks you have in Europe participating and offering this. Mm. And this is exactly this, this, these are the exactly the two reasons mm -hmm. why I think uh, there was a decision to say, okay, we have tried the voluntary aspect of this. Now I think uh, if we want to, to bring this up and if we want to compete against uh, the likes of India, against the likes of mm -hmm. Brazil, uh, we, we have to do something different. And that's why it now becomes compulsory. So basically, uh, based, on the, based on the new um, legislation, if you may, mm -hmm. uh, you, are not, you will not be able to charge an instant credit transfer more mm -hmm. than you would a normal one, and that's a big, uh, that's a big uh, difference. Mm -hmm. I was wondering. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Um, please do. 
Okay. Now, uh, yeah, I was wondering if you've got any sort of war stories that you'd like to share about sort of interoperability issues with cross-border transactions. That, that's actually a big topic. And I, at the same time, I think it's a big problem because on the one hand side, we are we, we, we are seeing traction in terms of uh, these new systems, in terms of India, in terms of Brazil, as I mentioned, Europe. Yeah. I mean, I forgot, I, I think we, we, we should mention as well Right now, which is the reaction of, of the U.S. Uh, launching again a few months ago, that's the instant uh, scheme of the of the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, so you have all this regional, or let's say, uh, not regional, even. I mean, you have all these local initiatives. Mm -hmm. But if you look at what's happening on the on the international space, I think you do have a problem of interoperability. None mm -hmm. of these systems work uh, with each other. Mm. I think that's the next step. I mean, if you if if you look at what's been happening on the space over the past years, I think you're gonna see that there is a lot of interest in instant payments. Let's say maybe the last uh, five to ten years. So I think we're still seeing the um, evolution uh, within the the local country borders. I think we're going. We're still trying to. I mean, in Europe, as I said, uh, we are now imposing this in uh, in Brazil. And in India, you have this working for for some years, but they still have some some way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at, uh, I mean, although we do have say for initiatives that are trying to move the needle on the international international space, but this has not been um, the fact so far. I mean, uh, out of my mind, I will uh, uh, cite, for example, there has been. Uh, a European Payment Council initiative, which is called the One Leg Out Instant Credit Transfer, meaning that one leg is uh, one leg is within the EU and the other one is out. So there has been, um, I think, there has been a pilot involving SWIFT uh, and uh, so banks from from mm -hmm. Spain. I think there has been there have been banks from Asia, which was quite successful. Mm -hmm. But again, this was just a pilot, and there is one leg in and one leg out. Uh, then you have a so-called initiative, which is the, the IXB, so the Immediate Cross-Border Payments uh, Initiative. And this is focusing basically on multi-currency transactions. I think you have the clearinghouse in the US being involved. You have EBA clearing in Europe. And again, you have uh, SWIFT. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also had a, a pilot, uh, a successful one on this one. And mm -hmm. then, of course, you have the likes of Nexus, which is also a very well-known initiative. So there was, again, a technical proof of concept. Uh, I think this was uh, between the Eurosystem, Malaysia, and Singapore uh, to connect multiple instant payment systems. And I think that's the closest to what you were referring to. It enables, mm -hmm. it aims to enable these cross-border payments in less than 60 seconds mm -hmm. across instant uh, different mm -hmm. payment systems. And this was quite successful. I think they're now going to the, to the next phase. But I think we it's fair to say that we are far away from something that is addressing uh, instant payments as a whole on a global scale. I mm. think that's, mm. that's okay. Reality. No, that's very clear. Thanks for that, Panagiotis. Let's slightly change the subject here. Let, let's talk about um, the topic we cannot escape from at the moment. That is AI and in particular AI in banking. So, so beyond the buzzwords and other mm. than addictive AI, what concrete and substantial changes has AI, generative AI, brought to the core operations and services of traditional banking institutions? You know, I'd like to know what are the less publicized but generally transformative applications that are reshaping the industry's business models and customer experiences? Mm. I mean, uh, I, I guess we cannot have a discussion uh, these days without... Yes. AI, AI, because that's uh, that's the focus in everybody's uh, <laughs> minds, I guess, right? Um, so I think two facts to start with. The first one um, is that I mean I think I was reading this somewhere and I find it very very true. I think the so the the short term impact of AI is uh, probably overestimated. Uh, and the long-term impact is underestimated, and I think that's uh, I, I think that's a fact. Uh, let, let's see how this is going to evolve. Yes, but that's I think a very good uh, point to have in mind. And the second one is that um, there is so much debate, especially 
in the finance industry around AI and uh, Gen AI, as we call it. Yes. Uh, because I think that's, I think probably we are the biggest, uh, I mean, we are the industry with the biggest impact in terms of uh, AI. Uh, and there is a famous, uh, very well-known uh, study from McKinsey saying that the additional value calculated uh, on a yearly basis mm -hmm. can be between uh, 200 billion and 100 billion uh, dollars. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, uh, in terms of revenues, that's between three and five. Um, but we are quite early, to be honest. I mean, everybody, and especially the big players, are trying to... Um, are trying to let's say to somehow integrate AI mm -hmm. in their day to day and try to see where it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think we do have lots of interesting uh, use cases. Yeah. But again, uh, there is uh, I think we do have three four pain points, and there is a huge discussion. I mean, if you look at uh, the discussions in Davos uh, uh, this year, which is I mean a, a, all this uh, everyone was focusing on on AI, how AI is going to be used, uh, you know what is the role of data, etc. Yeah. etc. Um, so I think we're very early, very very yes. promising, but I think we have to be able to differentiate the hype mm. from mm. the from the reality. Yes, yes, yes. So at the moment we really don't know the transformative application of generative AI will be in the financial services. We know about predictive AI. That's been around for decades. Mm. And we've been mm. using predictive AI. So AI in the financial service isn't new. It's just this generative AI bit. It's, we're still talking about it. Basically, that's what you're saying. We haven't really um, established the the, the the transformative nature of generative AI within that sector. But we can imagine it, as you say. Exactly. It's definitely early days. But on the other hand, we do have some interesting use cases. And I think they do provide a sign as to where we are heading to. So let me let me mention out of my mind three, four that I think they stand out. Mm -hmm. So starting uh, from uh, from shopping and payments, I mean, you have Klarna, and mm -hmm. they have, uh, I think they have launched uh, quite recently a personalized shopping uh, tool, which is basically built on uh, ChatGPT. It's a plugin, mm -hmm. and it offers personalized shopping recommendations. So I think this was launched only in US and the Canada, and it's mm -hmm. going to roll out in the... But shoppers can actually ask ChatGPT for shopping ideas, mm -hmm. and the AI will send recommendations and linked to products. And then you're going to have this within the, the search element of, uh, of Klarna, and you're going to be able to check prices across different brands. So that's, 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 a, that's an mm -hmm. interesting one. Mm -hmm. Then you have, for example, the likes of, of banks. I think there is a bank in Singapore called... Uh, OCBC and they are using AI to be able to work in a better way. So they, what they have done is that they have built a tool that they use within the bank and this tool, um, they are using the tool to develop code, for example, to summarize documents, to have calls uh, summarized or to create an internal knowledge base. Mm -hmm. So they actually try to boost productivity in this way. I think I was reading and I was very impressed that they have uh, outsourced many of the low-level decisions to the tool mm -hmm. and that they're uh, uh, forecasting that this is going to significantly increase uh, going forward. Um, then you have, for example, uh, JP Morgan Chase. So I think they're um, building, I think they have actually built the tool. I think they, they, the tool is called uh, Index uh, GPT. And it's mm -hmm. basically uh, automating how... Uh, customers are making investments. So based on my, I mean, there is an algorithm based on my personal uh, history, experiences, uh, and mm. whatever, they mm -hmm. actually, uh, you know, investment is, is becoming automated. So mm -hmm. they're analyzing and selecting securities tailored to my customer needs. And then, of course, you have, I mean, as the, as the last one, uh, you have uh, the likes of, uh, of Brex. I mean, Brex is a... A spend platform for companies, so it's mm -hmm. actually uh, trying to help companies how to manage the expense, etc. So they have built an assistant, and I think uh, so. For example, when you're booking a flight, uh, you have the assistant automatically assigning the the travel budget. If you have to have a memo, they fill out the business memo. They generate the, the generate the, the receipt, mm -hmm. uh, and I think they are also building in this direction of building uh, AI powered tools for. Uh, producing uh, knowledge 
that is actually so for example these guys are also helping you to uh, uh to understand what's happening so they're producing dashboards and charts uh, based on data mm -hmm. and i think now they based on the tool that they have used on top you're actually able to discuss with the tool ask for questions for insights uh get answers and, and go back etc etc so i mean it's saving lots of time and effort and it sometimes i think you it, it's mimicking how you know if you would have somebody as an expert to talk mm -hmm. to and ask mm -hmm. questions i mean the tool is providing the feedback in this way so i think it's it's very very uh interesting how these things are going to evolve and um, you know if, if you can remember in our first episode i asked you to give my listeners a, a, an understanding of the evolution of fintech from 1.0 to 3.54 now i'd like you to do the same but i'm wondering if this is an evolution or a complete change um that is the move from credit cards to open banking and now to open finance if you can panagiotis can you sort of succinctly talk about this story and, and how much of it is an ideal and how much of it is a, a reality this is now a theme um where i i want you to sort of in this conversation in this episode to separate all the talk from the real action here mm -hmm. uh... That's another uh, very interesting topic which is going around. And I think it's uh, uh, justifiably one of the main topics. Mm -hmm. um, as a starting point, what is open banking? I mean, because many people say it's a business model, I think uh, whoever says it's a business model, they don't really understand uh, exactly what, what it does. I mean, you do have some revolutionary business models that we can talk about but open banking is just um, a change of mentality uh, mm -hmm. so it's actually allowing third parties and when we say third parties most of the times we mean uh, you know the so-called fintech so these uh, companies that are the startups that are trying to make a difference using technology uh, in finance mm -hmm. and it's basically allowing them to have access to data which was not the case um before and because they now have access to data they can use this data in new ways to build on top of existing uh, products and services to build something on top which is innovative so it's opening up the field right and that's why we call it open banking mm. uh, now there have been comparisons so there have been let's say lots of uh, discussions around okay now that you have open banking and the evolution actually of open banking is called open finance. Uh, and just as a as a reminder to the audience, I mean, the difference between the two is that you know, open banking has a very, let's say, narrow uh, definition and a narrow application domain, which is only um, uh, in payments. And if you go and include other products, uh, you know, uh, wealth management, uh, lending, mm -hmm. uh, whatever you can imagine, and you have a 360 view uh, including all these uh, all these products and services, then you go to what we say it's uh, open finance, and that's the basically the transition. Now, at the same time, you have the discussion around okay, can open banking challenge credit cards, mm -hmm. especially in the West? I think we, we let's let's focus on let's stay in the West and let's focus on the West because uh, there can be different decisions uh, around other jurisdictions. So. There is a so there is a let's say there is a very important reason why this is the case. So imagine that you have uh, you know you have the, the credit card schemes today. So you have Visa, the likes of Visa, the likes of Mastercard, and I think together they account maybe for I don't know eighty percent of the total credit card market share combined. And what do they do? They match the rails that connect banks and customers, and because they do this. They define the access fees, so the cost for routing a card payment through the network, and also the interchange fees, so how much merchants need to pay to the issuers. Uh, and looking at the fees, this is a big issue because uh, Europe, they are 2.2, uh, 0.2% uh, for debit cards and 0.3 for credit cards because there is a cap. But in the US, for example, in Canada, where there is no cap, it can go all the way from 1.5 to even three, four percent. So there is a huge difference. And if you multiply these amounts uh, by the volumes of done, then you come up with um, 
with 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 very big sums. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the bigger the amount, the the larger the opportunity to mm -hmm. uh, to disrupt it. So the difference now that you have in terms of open banking is the fact that you you know instead of having somebody acting as an intermediary, meaning Visa mm -hmm. and Mastercard, and charging fees for this, you can connect consumers and merchants in a direct way. So what do you do? You don't need an intermediary. You go from one account to the other account. So that's that's I mean it's it's a very simple uh, concept, mm -hmm. but if you think about it, there is a huge disrupting element and this is why people are saying okay this might be an opportunity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think there is a there is truth in this but we are basically um let's say quite uh early in this journey yeah. Yeah. only because you have credit cards being dominant yeah still 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 uh Plus the fact that many users are not uh, familiar with the concept. So if I'm not familiar with something and uh, a payment, uh, let's say uh, a, a window comes up when I'm trying to uh, um, to finish uh, a payment, I might be very reluctant to do so. Uh, so these are the these are two reasons mm. to win. I'm wondering. Sorry, mm -hmm. I'm wondering: is it familiarity or is it trust that's the issue here? Both, both, both. I, I, oh. It's both. It's being familiar and, uh, you know, trusting the both the merchant mm -hmm. and the payment method. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we are in a, in a world where fraud is increasing uh, and everybody is uh, worried of uh, new things. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, if, I, if there is no difference for me personally as a consumer, then why should I choose something else? Because mm -hmm. we shouldn't forget that most of the gain when it comes to this, as I said before, so mm -hmm. most of these costs are borne by the, the merchants, right? Mm -hmm. So they might have a very huge incentive to, to go out of this, let's say, setup and try something else, especially mm -hmm. now that the competition is increasing and they are facing difficulties in a, in a, in a, in a, in a climate uh, from a finance perspective mm -hmm. that is very mm -hmm. challenging. But on the other hand, you have to be able to offer the consumers uh, value. And, uh, you know, for me, if it's yeah. the same, if uh, mm -hmm. there is no additional mm -hmm. cost, if I don't know the, the payment method, then I might not have a real uh, incentive uh, to mm -hmm. switch. So that's the one, one thing to keep in mind. And yeah. the other thing which is crucial, and that uh, skips probably quite often the discussion, is the following. I mean, if you imagine the, I mean, again, back to the credit cards, this is something uh, that has been developing in decades and being optimized. I mean, uh, and you have, I mean, it might be, it might sound very simple, mm -hmm. but behind uh, the setup, uh, we find very complex uh, things. So you have all these rules around the chargebacks, the disputes, the exceptions, how you do this and what happens and if and if. And imagine now that you have a, an alternative, which is a credible alternative, but we don't have all these rules and use cases. So we need to mm -hmm. build this. Mm -hmm. So when we say that from one day to the other, you can potentially replace something that has decades of history with something new without all these rules uh, and use cases. I think that's that that's a bit of um, you know there there is a bit of a problem. So and, and that's why we need a scheme around this. And uh, actually, the European Union has been has been moving in this direction. They have announced uh, lately. I mean, two thousand twenty three was. Uh, a year of many, many initiatives, among which was the so-called uh, SPA, which, which is mm -hmm. an initiative around building a scheme. It's a, essentially a framework with rules, technical standards, guidelines, mm -hmm. and describing these use cases, mm -hmm. replicating some of these use cases that the schemes have uh, taken, I don't know, decades, as I said, to build, and, and, and bringing this in the open banking space. We are just at the beginning, uh, but that's a necessary element if we want to say that at some point, addressing all the uh, the other issues we talked about before around uh, merchants, around use cases, around consumers, yeah. Yeah. on top of this, we also have to address the rules behind. And the rules, yeah. it's a fact, are not there today, but we do have an opportunity to build something uh, that will uh, address all these issues, and we are now uh, making a beginning. But again, it's very early, so that's uh, a very 
that that's that's a fact that we have to keep in mind when we have a when at this you know when we discuss and when we debate yeah, yeah. you know what can replace uh, what. Yeah. But let's look at the disruptive element that you mentioned a bit. You know, as we move, I'm assuming as we move towards open finance, because eventually, whatever time period that's going to happen, more so to open finance and credit cards, you know, be confined to the graveyards. Um, what what impact, um, Panagiotis, positive or negative? Can you can you anticipate on consumer behaviour? Uh, uh, what would you say on that? I think um, the main impact and the main uh, positive element will be the fact that the consumers will have access to more services and to choice. So instead of them, you know, having one option or two options, they're going to have uh, more options. Now, there is a question mark as to how many options can I handle as a consumer? Yes. Because, you know, if I have one, two, three, four payment methods, and then instead of three or four, I have 10, then, uh, you know, the the, 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 the additional uh, number of uh, methods being offered, they have to have a value proposition. that And this value proposition should be understood by the consumers and by the merchants. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if both are not in the game, then this cannot be successful. So that's uh, that's that's a big uh, that's a big diff and a big to do, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, uh, I think we're moving in the direction of um, being able to handle our data. So if you look at what's been happening in the U.S., if you look at what's been happening in Europe, and mm -hmm. this direction of open finance, it's basically all about data yes. and how you are how you are. Uh, facilitate, facilitating data to move. Yeah. Um, and that's why, for example, I mean, uh, US uh, has been moving in this direction and that's a surprise for the US because uh, as you know, in Europe, we like to regulate things. In the US, yes. they, they take a more, uh, let's say, market approach. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think they have realized that at some point, uh, there has to be a mix to be successful. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. In Europe, uh, there was an open finance um, directive uh, announced uh, last year, and it's basically around data and how mm -hmm. data is being used, how you are uh, taking your data as a consumer and can do things uh, with your data, mm -hmm. and how uh, banks and other, let's say, players in the space, they can start charging for building innovation uh, mm -hmm. based on this data. Because so far, in PST2, this was one of the main uh, problems that you know there was no incentive for the players for the for the banks to to innovate because mm -hmm. there was no remuneration model now we are moving in this direction of having a remuneration model and this is going to solve some of the problems that we used to have under the previous uh, setup although we have to say that this will take time mm. okay um uh, let's look at a recent post of yours, um, one of the many brilliant and insightful content posts. Um, it's about the, the new multi-rail payments landscape. Is this the topic of the year in finance? I think it goes more than, uh, than, than, than one year. And that's something that is being built um, lately. And it's going to continue uh, to grow and to, to mature. And, and, and the point actually be behind this was the following. Uh, we have for the first time, let's say, I mean, uh, payments is a space that has been evolving very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we speak, it's at the center of a massive transformation. And I think this is probably redefining how the industry as a whole will look like in the years to come. And why, why is this? Because we have a combination of things. So we have been discussing the topic of uh, credit cards and how they compare to the to open banking, right? So you have this, so you have the traditional payment mm -hmm. methods, you have open banking, and then you have, for example, account-to-account -account payments. Mm -hmm. Some people think that, uh, you know, account-to-account -account payments is the same with open banking, but mm -hmm. this is not the case. So <laughs> open banking, for example, are by definition account-to-account -account payments because you go from one account to the other, but if you look at what's happening on a global scale, you're going to see that you have lots of local account-to-account -account schemes that are not open banking. 
So for example, if you if you look, and, and I think there is a, a, a very good example is what's happening in Europe, where you have lots of uh, successful actually uh, account to account schemes. I mean, in the Netherlands, you have Ideal, you have Blick in Poland, mm -hmm. uh, um, you have Bizum in in space in in Spain. You have uh, Vias in Greece, mm -hmm. but these are these are very local, right? And some of them are very very successful, but these are a separate status quo, if you may. Mm -hmm. On top of this, you have, for example, crypto. I mean, uh, there has been lots of discussion lately around the the ETF uh, in the US mm -hmm. of, of Bitcoin, and then of course you have uh, CBDCs. We are talking about the digital euro. Uh, for example. And so these are new things. And on top of these new things, you, we shouldn't forget that we have, uh, for example, on a cross-border um, landscape, we have SWIFT. And cross-border has always been one of the main issues. I mean, you have been addressing this uh, at the beginning with the within the instant payments discussion. Mm -hmm. But I think the cross-border element is always uh, how, how do you move money from one place to another place around the globe? Mm -hmm. And then you have the, you know, the super apps, uh, you have the, you know, the wallets that are transformed in super apps, you have the money transfer companies, you have the likes of Visa mm -hmm. and MasterCard using the rails in different ways. So instead of pulling payments to push payments, so all of this is, is, is one and the same landscape, if you may. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying that you have this multi-rail payments landscape. And, uh, you know, from one or two or three rails, we're now moving to a landscape yeah. where more uh, influences are going to come. And the question is, how do you bring all these things together? How are these interacting with each other? Uh, and that's a very fascinating discussion, to be honest. Yes, yes. So I'm sure we will see more of it during the course of the year. OK, let's continue to talk about posts on LinkedIn, social media, etc., and your influence in this space, um, frankly, it's it's like a feeding frenzy with your posts. Every corner of the globe finds it insightful. I think you you sort of, as a result, start debates with it, and and then there's a sort of a an insatiable appetite for for your your um your, your forensic analysis, your forensic level analysis on subtopics within fintech and the financial sector. I I want to ask you, um, how do you go about breaking down complex concepts? complex concepts and making them accessible and understandable to, to a broad audience? Um, I mean, two thoughts, two thoughts around this. I mean, the first one, I mean, they say, and I believe it's true, that if you, uh, if you are not able to explain something in a very simple way, you don't understand it well enough. So you have to go back to the drawing board. So that's, that's one. And the second one is, I think that it's basically that there are so many things happening in finance that I think there is always a need to explain things, to discuss things, and have a have a discussion that is going uh, beyond the hype. So I think there is a, a real need for people to understand not only why not only what is happening, but why things are happening. So this is what I'm trying to to contribute to the to the to the public uh, uh, domain. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm very happy, you know, to have all these uh, discussions that you that you mentioned before. I mean, that's very rewarding so you know uh, as a prominent figure in fintech discussions online and i'm sure offline um how do you stay informed about the sort of rapidly evolving landscape of finance and how do you sort of balance between providing timely information and ensuring accuracy of your content mm. um i mean to be honest i you know i, I try to stay within the uh, the stuff that I know, right? Because I mean, if you if you look at uh, what's happening out there, you have uh, many many people uh, discussing about stuff that is not necessarily their domain of expertise. I'm trying to stay within my within my domain, within what I've, uh, I'm doing as a as a day to day as well. Uh, and you know, if you're in the business of um, you know, if you are in the in the banking business, in the payments, in the fintech business, I think the uh, there. It's true that things are moving very, very quickly. Mm, but on the other hand, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's say it's part of the, it's part of uh, my day-to-day, -day, it's part of my trying to be successful, that mm -hmm. I have to understand how the market is moving and uh, how, what are the new things that are coming and how these are going to be influencing uh, me both on a, on a company level and on a personal level. So it's a bit of a balance. 
uh, and it's something that you cannot avoid having. I mean, if you are, I mean, if you have to do this and you don't like it, I think it's a problem because then you're never gonna be especially interested in this, and then you're not gonna, you know, perform mm -hmm. in, a, in, in 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 a way that uh, that makes sense for you and for the rest. But you know, for me, it has always been a, a personal mm -hmm. attribute, if you may, that all these things they they they, they seem very interesting. Uh, and I mean, I have to 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 stay abreast of the developments, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to follow. But on the other hand, I mean, there is a personal element to this that uh, you know, even if I wouldn't have to to do it for uh, as part of my professional day to day, I think that I would still like to understand uh, where things are heading to. I think it's I think it's remarkable because I see your content. And while you know the subject matter is not you know is not my expertise, I'm looking at it and I'm understanding and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm digesting it. This is really good the way it's been delivered, and I just I'm very much appreciative of it. And I think it, I find it, it's a bit of a risk now that you you've got sort of a major following, and you know when you post something, it's just as I said, it's just a feeling frenzy. But so it must be a bit of a, a responsibility, isn't it? I mean, so how do you navigate the responsibility that comes with your influential role in shaping? these kinds of discussions on social media, considering the potential impact on the diverse audience, because I know everyone across the globe is looking and responding and commenting and enjoying what you post. So, so, so how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, um, I think as you said, and this is a very, this is a very important point. I mean, on the one hand side, uh, as I said before, I'm just uh, trying to not to post things that I don't know, that uh, you know, on the one hand side, you have to know what your you know your stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you know what you're posting about, then uh, then you know there is a high chance that uh, you're gonna have a contribution that makes sense for others. And then uh, whenever I have a, a doubt around uh, let's say a number or if something is valid, I'm double checking if this is the case because sometimes we think that there is something. So sometimes I might think that you know. Uh, that you know, a complex, uh, let's say, or a new uh, rule uh, is going mm -hmm. like uh, A, for example, and it might be the case that uh, this is not very accurate. So, before, if, if there is a doubt, but you have to know what you are talking about. If there is a doubt that you know uh, A, B, or C might not be one hundred percent accurate, it's mm -hmm. very easy now to check. So I'm always mm -hmm. checking uh, so that I uh, avoid. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, of misinforming uh, people, mm -hmm. uh, I, and I think that's that's you know that's our kind of uh, part of our social responsibility. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you yeah. are trying to contribute something to the public uh, domain into the public debate, I think you have to take uh, the time and the effort to, to make sure that you are not misleading people and yeah. you're not misinforming people. And uh, at the end of the day, I think that's also the the feedback. And you know, if it's not appreciated or if it wouldn't have been appreciated, I think less people would be um, ready to engage uh, to, to engage yes yes right so um, um listeners in terms of financial information data trends analysis panagiotis is your guy to follow on linkedin i will put a, 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 his um, linkedin feed in in the um, episode notes so do follow him okay let's end this conversation on headstock with us looking ahead sort of Amidst the sort of rapid pace of innovation, what key areas should businesses and investors keep an eye on to stay ahead of the evolving fintech landscape over the next 12 months? Mm. I mean, that's a hard choice, right? Because you have so many topics that are uh, happening at the same time. And I think you have to be able to also, as I said before, to dif differentiate between the hype and the, and the reality. But uh, if I have to choose... Uh, a few, I would say that for me, uh, embedded finance uh, is uh, is is something that uh, you know mm -hmm. it's worth uh, following. It's actually how you embed uh, financial services in non-financial services environments. And I think that's uh, it's it's actually one of the business models that are gonna be influencing and are uh, as we speak influencing uh, business and finance and beyond. To a great extent, so I think mm -hmm. that's something that uh, is worth uh, keeping an eye on. Mm -hmm. 
the transition from open banking to open finance, I think that's another one. Uh, I think it's not going to take 12 months or 24 months, but that's uh, on a more uh, on, on a, on a long term path. Uh, along this path, I think that we're going to see some consolidation, especially when it comes to open banking players, especially smaller ones. Uh, so I think that's something we, we will not avoid. The use of Gen AI is going to continue to be a big topic, but I think here we have questions around, okay, how do you integrate this to your um, IT systems? How do you educate your, uh, your, your people? How do you change your business model uh, how do how are you effectively using uh, AI as part of your day-to-day uh, -day beyond uh, you know the the jargon and, and, and the hype? And I think that's probably one of the main uh, mm -hmm. challenges uh, going forward. And then of course you have issues like instant payments, which you very uh, rightly addressed as being uh, part of the focus today. You have all this uh, CBDC discussion, which is going to continue. I mean, 96%, if I'm not mistaken, of, of central banks today are working on a CBDC, mm -hmm. the, the so-called digital uh, currencies. Uh, you have uh, the asset tokenization, which is a big topic. Uh, I think it's going to become a much bigger one uh, going forward. Um, and of course, you have, I mean, on the payment space, you have lots of... Um, Lots of things happening. I mean, tokenization within the payment space, the payment tokenization. Uh, I think uh, if you look at uh, the work that the big schemes are are doing, this is a direction that they are taking. So that's also something that uh, that is worth uh, keeping in mind. Uh, so this would be my my summary. I think I'm forgetting for sure uh, things, but uh, <laughs> this would be top of mind. All right. Um... Panagiotis Criaris, um, once again, a brilliant conversation. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.